welcome to the Ask JP podcast where we tackle the questions and concerns of the day. Today we're going to talk about healthcare in Louisiana, which sounds like on its face it's a very dry topic, but we're going to have a lot of fun with it today. Uh, with me I have my good friend Andrew Tuzolo, who is with the Department of Health and Hospitals. Andrew, why don't you introduce yourself? Sure, I'm Andrew Tuzolo. I'm Chief of Staff at the Louisiana Department of Health. We cut the hospitals thing out last year. Thank you for your vote on that bill. And we're, uh, I work directly for Secretary Gee um, in the leadership team. First off, I think one issue we should go at immediately is there is this constant buzz of misinformation that the Department of Health and Hospitals is a huge burden upon the state budget. And I always try to counter this misinformation, but maybe it might sound better coming from you. What people fail to understand when you're talking about federal pass-through dollars is that when we don't put up a certain amount of money to draw down huge amounts of federal money, by not drawing that money down, it just goes somewhere else. And I mean, it's important to kind of, how big is DHH's budget and how much of that is federal? Sure. So our budget in this coming fiscal year is approximately $13 billion, just a little bit less than that. And 86% of our budget is in the Medicaid program. And our budget is only about two and a quarter billion dollars worth of state general fund. Uh, in fact, this year is the first year in recent memory we're actually asking the legislature for less state general fund. That's less state tax dollars we're asking for because we're so advantaged by that federal match that the expansion allows us. And, you know, when we talk about how big the budget is, people ask, well, you know, what are we handing out cash out of the department? Absolutely not. Almost all of that money is money that passes directly to healthcare providers for the provision of care. Right. So these aren't cash transfer programs. This is paying for doctors, nurses, for people who are going to get health care in this state. Um, and in this state, Louisiana has a population of, let's say, four and a half million people. Uh, Louisiana Medicaid, which is under the Department of Health, covers one point six million people. So we're probably the largest health care insurer in the state. Um, and we cover an enormous amount of children, most Louisiana children are covered by Medicaid and now over 415,000 adults now covered through the Medicaid expansion. So we're a huge provider of healthcare in this state. We are, um, uh, through the expansion, able to bring down these federal dollars, which stabilizes our healthcare infrastructure. That's paying for hospitals, which are major job centers for many, many communities throughout the state. That's for doctors. That's for anybody who works at a hospital. That's from the custodian on up to the CEO. We're helping to make sure those people are able to provide the care because um, the method by which we in Louisiana are again the most the largest insurer we can have that opportunity to make sure our healthcare infrastructure is uh is stable but also provide jobs and economic development that comes through that that system well and i mean i, th- I think it's important to, to understand a real basic fact when you look at like for example right now you just told us we now insure over four hundred thousand adults on medicaid expansion that's right the population of the state of louisiana is what 4.6 million people that means with medicaid expansion we provided health care to 10% of the state of Louisiana. That's right. It's an, it's an incredible change, a generational change in health care because when you look at, for example, the Gallup survey that shows what the uninsured rate in Louisiana is, through Medicaid expansion, just six months of Medicaid expansion when they were doing the interviews, we changed the uninsured rate from 21%, which was in 2013, all the way down to 12 in 2016. And that was only through six months. Less than 400,000 people had been signed up, enrolled by that point. So you're talking about changing the uninsured rate, giving a huge amount of people, 10% of people in Louisiana, access to care, which is the beginning of, for our mission, which is to make people healthy 
healthier. It is the beginning of becoming healthier is access to that primary care. You can get diagnosed for problems. You catch problems earlier. It costs us less money to deal with problems that are dealt with earlier. And it's a huge change for people's lives. You're more productive, less um, medical uh, caused bankruptcies, which is a huge problem in this country. Number one problem in this country in terms of uh, personal bankruptcy is because of medical bills. Medicaid expansion ends that threat for more than 400,000 people. We're a poor state. These are folks who can go to work now. They're not sick. They're not going bankrupt because of their medical bills. They're being able to care for their children because they're not sick. I mean, this is a huge change in people's lifestyles and their lives. And uh, I don't think we will ever have another opportunity to make this big of a change. Something that often have to explain to people because they don't really get it is that they're like, well, this costs us so much money. Can we afford to do it? And the reality is, as a legislator who was there before Medicaid expansion, before the shift away from the dish hospital system, it used to be the state's response to medical need was that we would fund a charity hospital around your area and you were tasked with, oh, I'm sick. I go to the emergency room at my charity hospital. Now, first off, going to charity hospitals is not free for the state. They still submit to us for reimbursement. So the individual with the flu who under this new Medicaid program sees a primary care physician, gets Tamiflu, gets treated, goes back to work. Under the old system, that person with the flu doesn't see a primary care physician. The flu gets worse. The flu turns into pneumonia. They go to the hospital room. They get put in a hospital for a week or two with pneumonia. The state is footing the entire bill for that week or two of pneumonia. That person is not working they lose their job. Their family can't afford to make rent. That person, All that stuff compounds the base cost of the state. Two weeks, that hot, that emergency room visit and two weeks in a hospital versus insuring that person. It's infinitely cheaper just to insure them. It's a no-brainer. I mean, the fact of the matter is that Louisiana has this had this opportunity. And, and because of the expansion, the match rate is so good, we're actually able to draw down more federal dollars and spend less state tax payer dollars. We're actually... In in this fiscal year, the one we're still currently in, we're going to end up saving. We announced 184 million. That was our target. We ended up saving 200 million dollars of state taxpayer dollars. 200 million of less taxpayer dollars we'd have to raise through revenue, through other means. We're able to do that in the following year. We're going to probably have about $300 million over baseline savings just in state taxpayer dollars. So we're insuring 415. We're going to probably end up being about 450,000 people, end up saving $200 million. It's a huge deal for the state, and it's generational. Just like you said, though, it's being able to um, intercept these people who have these conditions. And it's not just the flu. You know, you'll look at our Healthy Louisiana dashboard. You'll see on our website, that's ldh.la.gov forward slash healthy LA dashboard. You'll be able to see right there that if you have over 62,000 primary care visits, we have thousands of diagnoses of hypertension, right, of colon cancer and breast cancer diagnoses. These are things that gone untreated, they can cause basically life-changing conditions that make you ineligible to work, potentially ineligible to be able to care for your family. These are things that end up ruining people's lives, and we're able to get out in front of it. The state pays for it. Let me be clear. If you don't pay for health care on the front end, you pay Pay for for it on the back end. end. In spades. I mean, this is an incredible change. The state already does this, right? So every hospital in the state that sees people who are, in, we call it uncompensated care, federal government had to come in and give us money to pay for those people's care. It might be invisible to the taxpayer on the front end, but on the back end, you're still paying for it. People who are sick. They get seek care, and because of federal law, and I think it's a good one, we care for people who are sick in this country. That's going to happen. You are paying for care. I've heard Senator Cassidy make this exact argument. He wrote an op-ed to say this exact point. The point is that 
People who are sick will receive care and we will pay for it. How would you like to do that? On the front end where it's way, way cheaper or on the back end where it's way, way more expensive. That ain't ever going to change. So the idea of not paying for these types of things on the front end, it's foolhardy. There's no question it is cheaper. When you look at how the state legislature shapes policy, we make decisions. For example, when we've had this complete merry-go-round on smoking, for example. The reason why people go, why does the state care whether or not I smoke? I should be able to smoke and do whatever I want. The state perspective is this. The reason why the state so heavily regulates things like cigarettes is because when you get lung cancer, if you can't afford an out-of-pocket doctor, when you're in stage three, stage four, getting chemo, when you're, God forbid, in hospice care, the state pays for all that. Absolutely. So, so the reason why we always, why the, the state occasionally gets involved in regulating healthy behavior is because for the vast majority of people, if you are not properly insured, let's say you have insurance, but it's bad insurance. If you're not properly insured and you have a catastrophic health event and you can no longer pay for your care, the state's paying for it. And as much as people hate the Affordable Care Act, many of its tenants, the reason why the bill to repeal it failed was stuff like there is no cap on your care. For years, the the health insurance industry would make you pay for insurance and not tell you that you had a lifetime cap. So you would pay your insurance from the age you were 25 to the age you were 65. You'd have a catastrophic event, a cancer, colon cancer, breast cancer, something. While you're in the hospital, using the insurance you paid for your entire life, including when you're healthy, you would get a call saying, you've reached your limit, your lifetime cap. We're no longer required to pay. And suddenly you're a 68-year-old person who's on Medicaid, who had to shift doctors, do everything else differently, who is now bankrupt because everything you had had to be sold. Because because remember, before ACA was in effect, the income qualifiers were tremendously difficult to hit. So people would go bankrupt and fall into Medicaid because, that middle class person whose health care turned them out, they weren't eligible for Medicaid. So until they became a pauper, they couldn't get Medicaid. By altering the bar on Medicaid, you have people that don't have enough money for insurance, that are on the cusp, that are working, that now have health insurance, are making healthier decisions, are having interventions on basic levels, who are healthy parents taking care of healthy kids who are already insured, and overall having a better outcome. It just seems like, at, on one level, it seems part of the struggle people have who support universal health care is that people say, well, we simply can't afford it. And the reality is, is that morally and politically and economically, we can't not, we can't afford not to do it. At the end of the day, when you don't pay for that health care on the front end, like you said, it balloons on the back end and the outcome is infinitely worse because on the front end, when you get somebody treated, they go back to work. When someone's at the at the tail end of a life that's been ruined by some catastrophic condition, they're not working. There's one less breadwinner in the house if that person wasn't the only breadwinner in the house. And we're paying for all of it on top of that. Yeah, I mean, this is the perfect example. Uh, just like we're dealing with in the school, like they talk about the school, the prison pipeline. They talk about a lot of social ills that have these root causes that make people, in essence, force people to stumble into some of the what a lot of folks in this state, maybe rightfully so, call the welfare state, which they, when you end up being on food stamps, you end up having all these um, issues that necessitate the state support. One of the things about this program, Medicaid expansion, is that previously, as you mentioned, the, the income level was so low that if you worked, 
you were ineligible, right? It had the opposite incentive. What Medicaid expansion did was it raised the level of income eligibility all the way up to like, let's say you're working in the service industry, in, in construction. We know that 60 to 70% of the folks who are in Medicaid expansion, the population are working people, right? Because you have to have made money to now be eligible because we moved the eligibility up in the income range, right? So these people are working. They just currently, they can't afford health insurance and they just had nothing to begin to uh, previously. So this is a huge change change for folks and it not just affects individuals which it does and we know and again check out our dashboard to see all the individual effect we've had but businesses really are benefiting from this because their employees are more productive we know that a business for example a restaurant a hotel maybe they can't afford to provide health insurance to those workers but what medicaid expansion does is gives those workers access to care so they don't miss work They don't have to have a catastrophic situation which causes a trained employee to end up ending their work life because they couldn't pay for health care. That ends in Louisiana, and I think that's a huge change for businesses and for individuals. Well, when you expand that kind of thought a little bigger, and I'm kind of going to dig into, to, we'll kind of go into John White's Kool-Aid for a little bit, but you look at like a key program like like reduced lunches. When you see these budget proposals that eliminate reduced lunches, and they go, well, it's not a priority for, for an administration that we provide reduced lunches. What reduced lunches are is an effort by people, both the health and education field, to acknowledge the fact that starving children can't learn anything. And the reality is that when you send a kid to school and you provide a lunch for that kid, someone has to buy that meal, make that meal, and you have families who simply can't afford to do that in a coherent way or provide a meal that is provides enough substance to last a day. For many of these children, their free and reduced breakfast and free and reduced lunch are the two biggest meals of their day. When you look at taking a program like that away, there is no positive outcome. That kid who's hungry is competing with other kids who are not. And if you think you can operate normally while starving, go watch a Snickers commercial because they adequately explain that you're not yourself when you're starving. Government has an interest in making sure people are performing at a bare minimum level to be successful because that kid who can't perform, who can't pass a test, who can't go higher in grades, who can't progress through elementary school, through high school, that kid, we pay for him one way or the other. That's totally true. And I want to acknowledge the legislature's help in the previous year, you listen, we had a majority, a high majority of legislators who voted for this budget with the Medicaid expansion in this because I think this message has gotten through on these issues. I mean, it is it always you'll always have folks coming out and saying, well, listen, why don't we look at this different way? Why does why does it cost so much, and et cetera? But I think people have acknowledged and a large majority of folks have acknowledged that certainly citizens in Louisiana have acknowledged that this is a huge net win for our state. And I don't think that we'll see, you saw how difficult it was in D.C. when they started talking about health care and how difficult it was to unspool situations which people received health care access because once you get access to it, people see the advantages, they see the advantages all throughout their life and through their economic life and that was difficult to unspool for that exact reason. And I, I think this is a program that is really going to change Louisiana's uh, health outcomes for a generation. Well, I mean, uh, it's certainly the hope. Uh, cha- changing gears for a second. As an agency that's tasked with providing, protecting the health of, of all Louisianians, the, the interesting thing we always talk about is budgeting for outcomes and how can we invest money more, more smartly. And I really think that 
it would be very helpful to my listening audience. You can kind of give an overview of a couple of things that Department of Health is involved with. People don't think. A great example I know most people don't understand is Department of Health is tasked with two areas that people don't really understand, don't grasp until something goes horribly wrong. The first is water quality. Uh, as you know, we've had a couple of incidents across the state regarding the brain-eating amoeba and the like sure. and the stuff that went on uh, with St. Joseph. Um, touch on those two. And also, when it comes to food, sure. I mean, as a culture that's obsessed with food, with eating, I don't think people understand what would happen if there was no Department of Health to really make sure that fair things were done. Yeah, so to both of those elements in the Department of Health fall in our Office of Public Health. And I'll address water first because I know it's, it's a concern for communities throughout the state, rural communities, urban communities. Um, our uh, Office of Public Health under our state health officer, Jimmy Gidry, Dr. Gidry, is the health officer. And what our role is, we, we do not... Uh, run water systems, but we test water system. It is our role to go out there and test local water systems that are run by local governments mostly and report back to the public whether or not those water systems are meeting the standards on a number of issues. Lead, of course, is one, but there are several. Of course, the amoeba issue as well. Um, is this water safe to drink? And we use the standards that are set uh, nationally to make sure that's the case. And we've gone in, in, in St. Joe's and certainly other places too. And listen, um, these water systems are probably under-resourced in their local capacity. Some Sometimes they're not run um, by agencies that have the uh, necessary um, competencies, run by local officials that are trying to do their best, and it's not always – um, it, it's not always uh, safe. We do have these issues come up, and we know that infrastructure has been under-invested uh, in, in Louisiana. That's just roads and bridges. That's our water systems here in New Orleans, sitting in New Orleans. We can talk for hours about sewage and water board and the leaky pipes. There isn't a day that goes by that you don't see a sewage and water board uh, repair uh, crew out on the streets. And we know that some of the reasons our streets are in bad shape is because we got leaky pipes all over the place. These water systems are old, and they uh, necessitate constant monitoring so that we make sure that that water is safe to drink. It's a basic, fundamental, um, I think, promise from our society to our citizens that you have water that's safe to drink. And that's a key component of what we do. Um, and we go out there all the time. We were able in the past session, thanks to Representative Jones and some other folks, worked on a bill to make sure we had more water inspectors. We need more water engineers. We need to do inspections more often. We acknowledge that. We've dealt, you know, we had, used to have 13,000 employees at the Department of Health about eight years ago after Bobby Jindal. We have only about 5,000. So these are people, these are frontline people out there that are doing water testing. We've been able to rebuild some of that. And the second thing you have talked about is, is another um, testing element, which is our sanitarians here based in New Orleans, but operate throughout the state, uh, Baton Rouge and other local regional uh, offices. We have sanitarians that inspect the restaurants that you eat at with your family every day. And before a restaurant can open, we do an inspection before and on a rotating basis, we do inspections. And these are the things that keep food safe. You know, we do, they check whether or not food is being stored at the proper temperatures. These are things that, you know, may not pass your eye because they're happening in the back. But if they're not done, if you get an outbreak where a restaurant gets people and businesses want this done because they want to assure the public that the food is safe to eat. You know, you get a restaurant that has 20 people end up getting sick there. People are not going to go eat there anymore. They want us to do these inspections, hold them accountable. And we're happy to partner with industry to do this. But it's an incredibly important part 
of what Department of Health do does. And I'll tell you what's really funny about it is that when you look at our budget, people say, wow, this is a big budget. It is a tiny part of our budget. Incredibly important, no doubt. Tiny part of our budgets. Like I said, 86% of our budgets basically is spent out of is Medicaid provision of care. There, there's a small percentage of it that actually does this incredibly important work. And so we, you know, when we are up there at the legislature arguing, like, listen, we don't want to do because they say, well, why don't you cut personnel? Who are our personnel? Sanitarians who do inspections, water inspectors. These are who work for us. And when you talk about sanitarians and water inspectors, sanitarians in particular, if you cut the budget of the Department of Health and they have to lay off sanitarians, that means that in the city of New Orleans, for example, where we have hundreds of restaurants, that means that everyone who opens us up in a restaurant has to wait in a queue for when a sanitarian can get out there because the Department of Hospitals does not sign off on your restaurant, you do not open. And I mean, it's a similar problem we ran into a couple of years ago with, with fire marshals, with, with fire right. inspectors. Yeah, you can do a hiring freeze, but in people, the average person goes, well, if they got open spots, close them until that closed spot affects you what you do daily if we free do a hiring freeze department of transportation and the dmv which is already frustrating has half the staff and you're a guy who goes there looking for a driver's license and you're there for two days getting one well suddenly the state needs to fix that if you're someone who is opening a restaurant whether it be a galatoire's or an arby's and you're told by department of health and hospitals we've got a hiring freeze we can't get an inspector out to you for four weeks well you have financing you have employees all of which are frozen until you get your health inspection now the option is don't have a health inspection but not a single business wants that because if you don't have a health inspection and you're operating you're rolling the dice the fact it's illegal is one thing but when you do things and you cut corners and bad things happen a your restaurant closed because no one goes there but b you're getting sued because people are sick and i mean it's very difficult and i'm glad you kind of flushed that out that there's so much that happens behind the scenes to make society function that's tied to some state obligation that if you're not one of the people who's interacting with the state in that regard, you'd never know what's happened. If you are a person who just consumes at a restaurant, you have no idea what the restaurant goes through to put that food on your plate and what the state has to do to help the restaurant be successful in getting that food to your plate. And that if one piece out of that cog is gone, everything goes sideways. That's totally the case. So we not only do we inspect restaurants, we license facilities, health facilities. We inspect hospitals, license those. One of the interesting things I've brought up and business leaders have said to me, hospital leaders and all sorts, you know, they run multi-million dollar facilities that make that see lots of revenue in and out, all sorts of things. And they say, well, listen, I'm opening a new hospital. Let's just say uh, I need your inspector out. I need another inspector. Well, we say, well, listen, we have a shortage of inspectors and take you three weeks. In Texas, this inspection could cost up to thirty to forty thousand dollars, and you know what? Hospital CEOs would happily write that check if it happened within forty-eight hours. In Louisiana, you might wait two and a half, three weeks. You know how much we end up charging for some of these services? Three hundred bucks, six hundred bucks. These are huge disparities. Now, Texas, you're not a high tax state, but what they'll tell you, business leaders will tell you, if my place is going to do a million dollars worth of business every week, but I can't open for th- four four weeks, I'll pay thirty thousand dollars up front to get this done. Another great example. Our, our wonderful jazz fest. And I've spoken to a number of legislators about this and as a bill we're going to end up filing is, listen, love the jazz fest. I go every year. My wife loves it. I can't wait to bring my baby daughter there. It's a wonderful place. Do you know the jazz fest pays less than 35 bucks for the entire inspection for all those food stands where you get your, your uh, crawfish Monica, where you get your, uh, all your, your fun- favorite uh, New Orleans cold brew, etc. 25, 30 bucks, they pay for the entire festival. There are, I think, at least 70 vendors that... And and this is by state law. No, and I find that interesting because the number one complaint everyone makes is that Jazz Fest goes up in price like 
50 percent right. every year so it, obviously that's not going to make it, it to costs the food less safe. than one t- a ticket to jazz fest i think on day of is like 70 75 bucks they pay less than half of one ticket to inspect their entire facility every day of the jazz fest by us it's not their fault that's a it's by state law and we're trying to change it this is the type of things we want to we want to charge people what it costs for us you, to do business, just you, like any you other. Might business. have just uncovered the largest boondoggle in Louisiana history. You know, and I mean, I mean, because you imagine any business in the state just for one inspection would gladly would gladly pay thirty five dollars. You have a multi million dollar open air festival. The other festivals would gladly pay thirty five dollars. You have one weird exemption in the law where you're talking about hundreds of individual booths serving food on dubiously sanitary surfaces and you have to go check all of check check all of them to make sure they meet some bare standards so that there's no outbreak of salmonella at jazz fest these are outdoor facilities it's hot no doubt they do their best but my my point is this we want to be able to charge for the costs we do to do business just like any other business you wouldn't go to subway and they're going to charge you 50 cents for a sub if it costs them two dollars to make it right and they're going to make a profit we're not trying to make a profit by law we cannot but right now one of the problems we have and we asked the legislature we asked last year we're going to ask again we would like to be able to right size those fees so that it does the cost of doing in fact in some cases we're not even asking cost of business we're saying 50 percent of the cost of business right now it's 10 or 5 or 1 percent of the cost of business right and to your point, when I've dealt with fee, with fees in particular, the actual fees, not secret taxes like Bobby Jindal did. Right. When you're dealing with actual fees, every business to a T says, I will happily pay a higher fee if I get the product, if I get my certification, my evaluation quicker, faster, and more efficiently because every hour, every day where I cannot do my business, I am losing money. And it does not help me to say I paid a lesser fee to health and hospital, for example, if my restaurant takes the roots to open. Yeah, it, it's it's one of those questions where people say, well, let's cut the red tape. Let's get things moving. We hate to get in the way of business. Well, let me tell you something. I would love to cut the what, best way to cut the red tape. Let's pay for the services. I'll have more inspectors out there. I'll be faster. I'll operate just like any other business. But when you hamstring a, a, a organization like the Department of Health from bo- doing the work we need to do by these artificially low fees, and I know a bit, you know, but some businesses say, "Great, like I don't want to pay that much, etc." I, I understand there's some low margin businesses, but that's not what we're talking about. There are business leaders that constantly come to us and say, why can't you do this faster? Why can't you work harder on this piece? I'm saying my guys are working really hard, but I can't pay any more people to do this. I just need more bodies. I need more people to do it. I need more hours. I need more overtime. It costs money. So I would love if these fees could be right-sized so that we are paying for the cost to do the work. And I bring up the Jazz Fest. I love Jazz Fest. I don't think anyone's doing anything wrong there. I'm just saying that that's a weird example where we know that Jazz Fest is making millions and millions of dollars. I mean, hell, they got tons of top-line acts coming out there for days and days. And I know that it costs me, you know, six bucks for a coffee there or whatever um, for for my crawfish enchiladas. I love them, but it's costing. If I have three of those, that's how much they paid for the festival to do an inspection. You know, so my point is this: like, let's let's think about that. When I hear these budget conversations happen, like. I'm not, I don't want more state taxpayer dollars. Let me just charge for what it costs to do this stuff. I don't want to raise it. I'm telling you right now, we're going to ask for less state taxpayer dollars. We are saving the state hundreds of millions of dollars, but I still can't do a cost of business because those savings go elsewhere. I know the budget's a complicated beast, but for me, let me do my cost of business. And I know it seems simple, but I, it, 
gets a little difficult up there in Baton Rouge it, sometimes. It, it's very difficult in Baton Rouge all the time. So, <laughs> but I think with that, I think that's a great place to end it. I think that sure. uh, I appreciate you being here today, yep. Andrew. I appreciate I you it. being very candid with kind of the challenges we face in Baton Rouge and how logic and common sense are not so common or not so logical most of the time. So thanks for being here. Uh, I appreciate it. I want to just one, one quick thing. I want to, you know, I really appreciate what y'all do. I know you guys work really hard on the difficult conditions uh, to make sure these things, some, some folks like you do a little bit more homework than others, but I know that, uh, you know, you, you work on your colleagues to do the right thing. I know everyone's got a good heart about it. Um, but, uh, you know, it, it's always a difficult uh, democracy is messy. So I appreciate what you guys do and I appreciate you, uh, Senator. Thanks. Thank you.